All right, let's get started. Jesus just fed the 5,000. Um, they wanted to make him king. He withdrew. Disciples started across in a boat. Water got rough and stormy. Jesus walks them on the water. Disciples scared silly. Jesus gets in the boat. And they're out the other side. They're in Capernaum. So let me set the scene. This is a long, ongoing discussion between Jesus and a group of people. Now, uh, did all 5,000 people follow him to Capernaum? No. At least I don't believe so. Doesn't make sense. But some people did. Now, who would be interested enough in Jesus to follow him to Capernaum? Well, let's see here. We get a clue in verse 41. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him. Whenever you see the phrase, the Jews, in the Gospel of John, he's talking about the religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, etc. Uh, so his, they were at least a part of the audience that followed him and caught up with him in Capernaum. Um, so when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he says, truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, it's an interesting response between he and these, uh, these people that are asking him these questions. He immediately starts talking about the bread that they had to eat, etc. In fact, you're going to see this whole discussion centering around the bread of life. And it shouldn't surprise us because this was the Passover, and the Passover was a pivotal time in, Jew in Israel's history where they were ushered out of Egypt under the leadership of the prophet Moses. And then they ended up in the desert for 40 years where God fed them with manna, bread, bread from heaven, if you will. Um, so this whole discussion centers around manna and bread. Makes, and it makes perfect sense because Jesus was recognized, at least, as an itinerant rabbi. And many times ra visiting rabbis would be invited to read from and teach from the Torah at a synagogue. Well, Jesus was, at this point, very well known. He'd done many things, many wonders. That he, he was kind of a big deal at this point. And it would be uh, not outside the realm of speculation to have him show up at a synagogue and have those synagogue leaders say, ask him if he would read from the Torah and teach. And I would not be surprised to find out that maybe he read about the Passover, the part of Moses' Pentateuch which spoke of the events surrounding the Passover and the exodus of Israel from Egypt. So they asked, so he said, these people asked, when did you get here? And he said, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs perform, but because you ate the loaves, had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father's place is seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? Then I used to be puzzled by these questions. But then I, I, I have discovered since uh, in this last several weeks that asking questions 
is a huge part of Jewish synagogue culture. Somebody teaches, and many times they teach in such a way as to invite the question. And uh, they raise their children to question. They re- it, it, to ask a question is a sign of someone who's seeking wisdom. So asking questions in a synagogue of a teacher who just got done teaching on something or reading something was encouraged. And so they're asking these questions. So what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Okay. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now in Jewish thinking back then, Moses was very much attached, and rightfully so, to all the events of the Exodus. And that included the sojourn in the desert with manna that was being that had been given them. So Jesus' response was to remind them. He says, truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the bread, true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's making the metaphor that manna is a picture of him. Manna gave life to the children in the wilderness. Jesus is going to give life to those who believe. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I just said, you don't believe. You're not coming to me. The Father gives me people that will come to me. They're not part of that crowd. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I lose none of all those he has given me, but I will raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So he tells him, I'm the bread of life. Manna granted physical life to those who ate it in the wilderness. Sustained them during their wilderness. I am the bread of life who will sustain you for eternity. Eternal life versus physical life. At this, the Jews, the religious leaders, began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Side note, Mary, Jesus' mother, uh, was not of good reputation. When she was very, very young, Gabriel appears to her. We all know the Christmas story. Says, you've been chosen by God. And she becomes pregnant with Messiah. She goes off to see Elizabeth who is about ready to give birth to John the Baptist, a cousin of Jesus. And after the birth, Mary comes back home. But by this time, several months have gone by, and when she comes back home, she has a baby bump. Now, she was engaged to Joseph. She wasn't, had yet to be with him. And she was pregnant, obviously, from someone other than Joseph. With This brought great shame on her and Joseph's family. 
Joseph was going to divorce her, but we all know the story. The angel said, no, she has not been unfaithful. Marry her. So he did. And I have I found an obscure historical reference, and I'm going to have to research and find it. Again, I lost it. But basically, Jesus grew up being called the bastard son of Mary and a Roman soldier. Uh, that's the only possible thing they could come up with. And he, they knew he wasn't the son of Joseph. So Jesus becoming a rabbi would be an insult, insult to many rabbis and to many in the religious community because he was an illegitimate son in their eyes. And uh, they said, we know this is Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How can we say, I come down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, said Jesus. No one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws them. Obviously, God is not drawing them. I will raise them up to the last day. As it's written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. And everyone who's heard the father and learned from him comes to me. Again, he's telling them, he's slapping them in the face some very hard truths. He said, if you were from God, you'd, you'd know who I am. You'd come to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who's from God. Only he has seen the Father. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness. They died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Um, truth bombs. He's saying some powerful things here. Um, just like manna preserved life in the wilderness, they still died. But if you eat the bread that comes down from heaven, Jesus, then you'll have eternal life. De the, you know, the word death, it doesn't mean cessation of existence. It means a separation. In physical death, the spirit is separated from the body. Spiritual death, the spirit is separated from God. The spirit is eternal. Our spirit is eternal. We have a life beyond the life that we're living now. And Jesus is saying that if you eat the bread that came from heaven, you will not suffer that second death. All right, let's keep on going. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. He's putting it to them, getting right. He's telling them, I am the bread of life. I am the way that you will achieve eternal life. People who are being drawn to me by God, my Father, will come to me. You're not coming to me. You don't believe in me. You don't hear me. He's told them previously, the things I do tell you who I am. 
What has he done? He's made the lame to walk. He's made the blind to see. He's healed lepers. Leprosy was a disease which in the Jewish mindset was a disease from the hand of God to an individual to deal with sin in their life. And therefore, since only God could give leprosy, only God could heal leprosy. If you were afflicted with leprosy, that was a seal from God saying that you had sinned. If you were healed from leprosy, that was likewise a seal that said you'd been forgiven. So when Jesus healed a leper, that very act alone is telling them in their own words who he says he is, who he is. God is truly his father. He has made the case previous to this where he declared a familial relationship with God the father. God isn't father in the royal sense like the royal we. God is my father. And he represents his father like a son represents his father. And whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. All right, then we go to this. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, Jesus had more than 12 disciples in the beginning. He had many, 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 many who choose to follow him. It was a part of the religious training where a young man, for a short period of time, would follow, choose to follow a rabbi and complete his religious training, uh, be a disciple of that rabbi. And there were lots of disciples. Jesus was a big deal. It was probably a big deal to be attached to him, to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, the one who does miracles. There's probably a big deal about that. But in hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you saw the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them didn't believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Ah, oh, what a sad statement in a lot of ways. But doesn't this reflect real life? Think about it. Uh, in your life, odds are, there's a very small handful of people that you could entrust your heart and soul to who love you, who know you, who accept you. And outside of that small circle are a bunch of people who maybe might know about you or be acquaintances. But when push comes to shove, they're not there for you. There's a group of people, a small group of people in everybody's life, your, your inner circle, if you will. I can count on these two hands the number of people I think I could entrust my life to. That doesn't mean I hate everybody else. I'm just recognizing the fact that of the 1,700-odd people on Facebook who are my friends, there's a small handful who are really friends that I can trust. And that's... This is the turning point for many of those. In the, the, the Presbyterians had a thing where they used to call two groups of people, the church visible and the church invisible. The church visible is everybody who shows up on a Sunday. 
Church Invisible is a much smaller group within that group, larger group, who are true believers who will stay through to the end. I don't think it's a shock to anybody to hear me say that I think someday church as we know it here in the United States uh, will no longer be. What will happen if the government shuts down many of these large churches? See, large churches are a good place to network. There are a lot of reasons people go to church. and Not all of them are Christian and godly reasons. Some people go to church because it's just good to be known that you come from that big church down the road. There's, It's good for business. There's networking. Lots of reasons people go. But if God were to shut the doors in your church building, would you still meet? A small group will. That's kind of what happened here with Jesus. Large group of disciples, and they could not accept what he was saying here, and all but a few left. And Jesus is the last part of this chapter. Jesus looks at his 12 and says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus replied, have I not chosen you 12? And yet one of you, is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. Wow. What a chapter. There's so much here. Um, I think probably one of the biggest points of comfort I get out of this passage, personally, is the fact when Jesus says that uh, no one comes to him but the Father draws him. No one is attracted to Jesus unless God is drawing him to Jesus. Now that, I take comfort in that in the fact that when I share my life, when I share the gospel through my words, when I share the gospel with my life, the way I live, uh, not everybody's going to be attracted to that. Those who are attracted to it, those are the ones you deal with. I, had a, I have a very dear friend of mine, a former atheist, I might add, um, who told me, and when he told me this, he was an atheist. He told me that he said, you know, people can't be around you for more than 10 minutes than to know that there's something different and that you're a Christian. You wear your Christianity on your sleeve. I do. I'm not ashamed to say his name. I'm not ashamed to give him glory in public. I'm not, I don't care where I am. I'm not ashamed of who I am, and of whose I am. And I have learned that it's not my fault if people don't come to Jesus as a result of my words. Not everybody's attracted to him. But to those who are being drawn to him, my life will appear attractive to them. My words will be attractive to them. The gospel will be attractive to them. So it's taken off my shoulders this responsibility that I have to convince everybody I talk to with my life or my words to become a Christian. Not everybody will. But to those who are being drawn, that's who I focus on. So there's so much to be drawn out of this chapter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a line in the sand and quit here because uh, I've tried to do this three times today. I'm Hopefully, hopefully this is the, the one that works. 
I think I fixed the echo problem. I'm going to go find out here in a second. But I hope you heard something that made sense to you today. The religious leaders are getting ready to kill Jesus. They're laying a case for him. Whenever they ask for signs, they don't want to hear signs, see signs. They really want him to say something that they can accuse him of later. They're getting ready to take him to court. All right, next up, chapter 7. This is Paige, and I'm out of here. Bye-bye.